You're listening to the Girls Gone Gab podcast. We're your hosts, Mackenzie and Sierra. Buckle, Buckle up, because we're about to get gabbing. Hello, gabbers. We are back for another week of the Girls Gone Gab podcast. And not going to lie, this episode, we're going to kind of pop around quite a bit. We've got a lot of things to chat about. And then we are going to be diving in to um, the first four chapters of our book club. But before we get into all of that, I don't want us to skim over last week's episode. Um, I thought last week's episode was a really good one. We had Kayla Sellers, aka the redneck medium on here. And Um, She gave us a couple of personal messages from the um, spirit world or what have you. And I thought it was super cool. And we definitely seem to like get some validation of the, I guess, um, readings that she had for us while she was on the podcast. Like at least for mine, the first one with my um, grandpa and the Santa thing and whatever, like that made perfect sense to me. And like that reference made sense. And like, I was like, yeah, that all adds up. It connects. The second one was a little bit like maybe, but like, I'm really reaching to like figure out what's going on with this family or whatever. But I know like you reached. And of course, like I called my mom (laughs) right after and was like, this is what happened. Like all the details, et cetera. Um, and she was super intrigued, but I think you got some like more validation post show from your mom. Yeah, I did. Um, I feel like listening back to that episode, I agree. Like I thought it was a really good one. Um, but I think just like my reaction to the messages, like both of them was just very lackluster. And I just want to say that like I full on also had a conversation with my mom, like immediately after talking to Kayla and had a few revelations. So, um, so I just want to like bring some, uh, light to kind of the information that I learned afterwards that kind of just like made me a real believer, so to speak. Um, cause I'm not going to lie. Like I I've got a little bit of skepticism in me, but, um, after like talking it out, I'm like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. So Mm -hmm. I'll start with just like the cat message. Um, which I just want to say, I did not even know that Sierra had a cat named Memphis. So like, I know a lot of people probably think like, oh, these mediums, they can just like search your social media or figure this out about you. I have been best friends with Sierra for almost 10 years now and never in my life have I known that she had a cat named Memphis. Yeah. So it's, it's not on her social media. It's not a known fact. Same with my grandpa thing. Like, yeah, people in my life or my family, like know that story, but it's not something I publicly posted before. Exactly. And at first, I'm not going to lie. I was kind of like skeptical when she mentioned, like, did either of us have a cat? Because I was like, okay, did she literally just see my cat walk in the back of the zoom call? Because I'm like, okay, she just saw Bella romping around yeah. in the background. I was like, oh my gosh, did someone here have a cat? And I was like, Oh, and she was like, I'm getting like an M name. And she was like, maybe a childhood cat or something. And I was like, yeah. uh, I literally only had one cat ever in my life that had a name that started with an M. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it's probably one of the only boy cats I had as well. Yeah. Like most of the other cats that I can think of off the top of my head that I've had throughout my lifetime um, were females. Um, so it was just very interesting, but me being pretty young when I had this cat, like the details were just a little fuzzy for me. So, but Mm -hmm. I found out that Memphis did enjoy dark places. Um, at the time that my family and I had him, we had an unfinished basement and Mm -hmm. turns out his like favorite hiding spot was under the stairs in the basement, which was a very dark place. Um, but he kind of like hung out down there. He did his little cat things down there. Um, and then I couldn't remember like how he passed away. And so, um, again, probably something that like my parents kept from me for a little while, just because they knew I would be upset about it. And turns out he kind of got loose from the house and, um, was found a couple of days later, like underneath the shed of like a neighbor's house. Um, and so it was kind of just like a mystery, like didn't really know what happened, but it was just very sad, at least for me as a child, um, mm-hmm. to lose a cat like that. So, um, it was very validating, um, hearing that like, you know, he didn't have any pain, like he was pain free. He's doing all right on the other side and I can rest easy. Uh, knowing that Memphis is good and also apparently he had a nickname as well which I couldn't remember as as well but for whatever reason baby Sierra called this cat Memphis Memphi and Elvis so Mm -hmm. all those things reigned true even though I couldn't remember them um so yeah so that was pretty cool yeah do we want to move the second story yeah so the second story like i told that to my mom. Cause if you listen to the episode, you know, I was like, maybe there's like some side of the family that I don't know about, or some person with this T name, this Thomas name, Tommy, whatever. That was um, very like far removed. Yeah. And, but I was like, maybe, you know, maybe, cause she said like, sometimes they have messages that aren't really like directly tied to you and whatever. Um, she kind of like focused on you after you said like you did have someone with a T name in your family. And she was like, okay, let me focus on you. Yeah. But I was really reaching and I was just like trying yeah. to be like, okay, maybe that's it. It doesn't seem like I would have someone trying to give me a message for this person. Cause I barely even know this person, but maybe, um, and so I told the story to my mom and it didn't really like nothing specific resonated with her either. She was kind of like reaching to make a connection. And then you asked your mom about it though. And it sounds like it's still kind of a looser connection, but there might be a little bit more validation on your side. Yeah. I feel like some of the pieces of the puzzle, like maybe made a little bit more sense to my story, which I can mm-hmm. tell a little bit of than yours. But yeah. again, the story on my side is also pretty far removed. Like it's not someone in my immediate family, not anyone mm-hmm. close to me personally, but yeah. I'll just go into it. So I didn't want to ask my mom straight up, like, Hey, do you know anyone named Tommy that owns land? Yeah. I mean, cause like, I didn't want to give it away, but I had it in my mind. I was you didn't like, want to lead her to the answer, exactly. especially being Kentucky and Tennessee girls and your mom's like a Southern girl. <laughs> like there's a good chance she could know somebody named Tommy that owns some chunk of land. Right. So <laughs> I kind of started it with, 
hey, this is really random, but also during the reading, like I had a thought about where we used to live, which when I was younger, we lived on a farm in Tennessee. And I knew that we lived on a farm that wasn't ours. Like we rented the house on the property, mm-hmm. but um, there were also like people who worked the land, like the landlords and like other people. I just, I just knew that they were around, but like, I was so young that I don't remember anyone's name that like worked there. And so I asked my mom, I was like, Hey, like by chance, like, do you remember who owned the property that we lived on? Mm-hmm. And she was like, um, she was like, I haven't thought about this in years. Like, let me think. And she was like, I'm pretty sure his name is Tommy Clark. And I was like, no, like no yeah. way like, that just can't be. I'm like, are you yeah. sure? She's like, I'm not sure, but that's like the first name that came to mind. I'm like, okay, well, if that's the first name that came to mind, then this is just a weird coincidence. Yeah. Then I start telling her some of the, um, I don't want to say clues, but like some of the things that Kayla was mentioning about this message and this uh, person communicating with her about how there was like some family drama and maybe like a lawyer involved Mm -hmm. and just all of that. And my mom tried to tell me a little bit about what she knew about the history of the land that we lived on and she was like yeah it was owned by the Clark family and it was passed down to Tommy Clark Tommy never had children so he turned the land over to a lawyer in town and then the lawyer is who leased it to my mom and our family and apparently the rest of the Clark family was a little bit upset about this and they were like why didn't you sell the land to us or whatever, like we could have used it instead of just like giving it to somebody that has nothing to do with the family. Mm -hmm. So there must've been some tension there. Um, Apparently there is a brother, a sibling. It was a a little bit of a family feud there. So how on earth does this relate to me? I have no idea. Are they still alive? What'd you say? Are they still alive? The brothers? Um, Tommy for sure is probably not alive because he was pretty old. Uh like even when we were there so it's been 20 years now since we've lived there and I just can't imagine that he'd still be alive I mean my mom was like for sure he's passed on by now but I mean there's probably surviving like other family members yeah and I'm like mom do you still know people that live in this town and she's like yeah for sure I'm like you need to find out what happened to these people like you need to research it find out what's going on, find out if some new life is coming into the family. I need to know. It's a whole soap opera now. I need to invest it. Angelique's got a report back to the Girls Gone Gab podcast listeners. Exactly. So if I find anything out, I'll come back. But so far, it's sounding like maybe a message from this old man that used to own the farm that I used to live on was coming through. Yeah, which is so, so strange. But um maybe it will be revealed to us in time. Yes. And I will say just another like side note. Again, I don't remember this man like super well, but I do remember that like we had um, a lot of like outdoor um, cats and animals that just kind of like lived in the barns and things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, of course, a little nature girl back then. And I was like in love with all the little animals 
And when I had to move to Kentucky, I was like so sad that I had to leave all these cats behind, like obviously couldn't take them with me. And um, he was really sweet. And he was just kind of like, don't worry, like, I'll take care of them for you. Like, they're in good hands. Like, so he kind of like comforted me when I was little and I was moving. He was just kind of like, all your cats are going to be good. I'll look after them for you. So that's a sweet little story for him. For the pod. Old Tommy. (laughs) All right. Well, aside from that, um, current uh, life here on the pod, um, I got my second uh, vaccine yesterday for the vid. And it knocked me out, um, overnight, which I knew, yeah, I knew to expect it. Um, but it did hit me last night. I had like the chills and just like, I told Sierra some like weird burping, um, issues going on, which sounds like, oh, that's just a you problem. But I'm telling you, I don't normally wake up in the middle of the night to have like a burp fest for like 50 burps in a row. So it just feels, (laughs) tied to the vaccine and it wasn't like a nauseous like you know how like some people will like burp a lot when they're gonna throw up like I did not it was just air it was pure air extra air in like, I don't know. Weird, like <laughs> I don't know but it was so strange because my body was just like convulsing back and forth like shaking from the chills while also burping at the same time <laughs> Yeah, I'm a little skeptical on whether or not that's vaccine related, but we'll go with it. For now. <laughs> I'm like, it is, it is. I swear. I'm like, because it's, it's subsided since then. Um, but yeah. And then just kind of like flu, like symptoms today, I was a literal potato all day and like just took a shower before the podcast. And it's like eight o'clock at night. <laughs> to reawaken myself but you know sometimes like you just need a full day of rest and then you feel better and like your body's good so that's supposed to be a sign that the vaccine's working well and they say like the healthier your immune system is maybe the harder your you get symptoms so I think this just means I'm like iron woman and <laughs> yeah. I can take on anything now my transformation is complete and a lot of like younger people just in general usually have a little bit um, harder of a time like recovering that first 24 hours. So I was right there with you when I had mine. So. Yeah. Yeah. But I think definitely still worth it. It's been, again, just a little bit over 24 hours and I'm pretty much back to normal now. So I think it will be worth it. Um, and small update, sad update for the pod. I know I talked about this. I think when I got my first vaccine of like checking out the vaccine cuties at <laughs> the vaccine clinic. And I saw Ethan there, this guy who is of my age, because <laughs> I overheard him giving his date of birth while checking in, we got vaccine or vaccined. We got vaccinated, like right next to each other, whatever. I was ready to see Ethan again. And I don't think I did this time Well, actually I think I did, but I think I saw him for like a flash of a second as I was leaving because I was looking around for him and I got up to go like after you have to sit down and wait 15 minutes. And like, I, I didn't like turn around, but I like made a turn and 
to like get towards the door. And when I did, I saw him in the back of the room and the nurse was like talking to him, having a conversation. So it's not like I was going to like make a beeline to the back of the room (laughs) and interrupt his conversation with this nurse to be like, Hey, what's up? Um, just been thinking about you for three weeks. Uh, (laughs) Um, and yeah, you know, it, that, that hope died is, is all I'm here to really report. But the funny thing is my mom sent me a video last night. I don't know if it was last night's episode. Um, I mean, I know this podcast episode will come out a couple of days later, but, uh, Jimmy Fallon did like a bit on his opening monologue. Um, and he like referenced like an article or like a serious, like news thing that was talking about like young singles meeting at vaccine clinics. And he like made a joke about it. And I was like, <laughs> my mom's like, you have to watch this. And I was like, see, I'm not crazy. I'm not the only one that is checking out, <laughs> checking out the vaccine cuties. I mean, it's the perfect spot. Like, you know, they're kind of in your age bracket. They're vaccinated. That's a huge pro these days. <laughs> we are desperate. I'm like, we've been locked inside for a year. <laughs> and the Kraken has been released, I guess. So I just thought it was funny, but no, no hope for me and Ethan. RIP. I'm really sorry to hear that. <laughs> I know my mom <laughs> even started. This is like, it's a joke. It's a joke. But <laughs> my mom was like, we were not arguing, but we were just like arguing or joking about something a couple weeks ago when I was visiting her. And she was like, well, is Ethan Jr. going to do that? Or like, I think we we're talking about Easter egg hunts and like how I'm going to be <laughs> that crazy mom who's like screaming at their kid to win the Easter egg hunt because I'm so competitive. And she was like, Ethan Jr. Like, what if his personality is not like that? Like, what if he's like more calm and not competitive? And so we, we even, (laughs) we even had the grandkids planned out, but you know, another one bites the dust. It's all good. Um, there'll be more to come. (laughs) Maybe next time, Maybe next time, (laughs) next vaccine. (laughs) Oh gosh. So we also have a couple updates in the uh, pop culture world. Um, I guess the first of which being that our queen Taylor Swift has dropped another album. I mean, it's one of the re-records, but she's basically releasing like what, like six new songs with each album that it's like, it's practically a mini album. It's just so much. The amount of content that she is putting out there, like I can't even, I can't even keep up. Like a lot of artists will put out smaller albums to even begin with. Like their whole album is 10 songs. And she's like, oh, my album, it's like 22, 25 songs. Just I the sheer volume of songs that she has, because you know the deal for like her incentive even for listeners to get their music or to get her re-recorded music is the fact that she's also releasing these vault songs mm-hmm. that have never been heard before. And I'm like, how many songs does she just have waiting on the sidelines? Just like how waiting. many are there? Yeah. 
it has to be crazy because I'm like, how many is she going to release? Like each, each re-release or re-recording of her albums. Like, is she going to have like six songs a piece or more? Like that's a ton. That's like a couple albums worth. Yeah. Exactly. It's nuts. I want to know if they're like already complete or like mostly complete, or if it's just like, oh, here's an idea I had for a song back in the day. Or are they like all from back in the day? Like, even though it's like from the vault, is it like something she recently wrote that she feels like just aligns with like, you know, the fearless era or like whatever, or they all like recorded way back when, and they just didn't make the album. I mean, it could be a mix of all of those things, but I'm gonna say it probably, it probably depends. Cause I'm like, let's just say it's like something that didn't make the lover album. Like that's not that long ago, but also probably still sounds like her. Mm-hmm. Whereas something from like, you know, fearless, it probably just doesn't even sound up to her like 2021 standards. So she probably re-recorded all of those, but. Oh yeah. 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 Then, like, like she probably one- recorded it, but like it could have been completed before and then she like redid it. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking anyway. Cause like the one with Maren Morris, like, obviously that's like a new thing. Yeah. Like a whole new concept. And, I, but I'm like, I'm sure she wrote it though, like back in the day, but whether or not she recorded it back in the day, I don't know. Yeah. It's so, it's so much. I have been listening to it on repeat. Like I've never heard it before and <laughs> brand new. It's brand new. I did get filmed the other day. Um, I was singing in my car to Fearless, the best track on the album. I mean, title track, in my opinion, best one. And it is just so good. And I was jamming out in my car and this guy, I like 100% caught him recording me. And I just thought it was like so funny. And like, I took it as a compliment, like, maybe other people would too, but I think some people would be like annoyed or like, how dare you record me, whatever. But I just thought like, if that's my legacy, if this goes somewhere <laughs> on the internet, you know, if that's how I'm known is like the girl that jams out in her car, which like, of course he couldn't even like hear that I was listening to Taylor Swift, then that's how it is. And that's the energy I want to bring into the universe. So I'm like, perfect. I'm putting out the exact energy I want to. That you were entertaining enough for him to whip out his phone. Yeah. And you. So and I think that most people that do that, that type of thing, it's like someone singing or dancing is not malicious. Like there's definitely like situations a- where it's inappropriate to be filming other people. But like, even when people are filming other people, again, when it's like singing or dancing, I think most of the time it's like, oh my gosh, look at this person. Like it's funny, but also like, wow, we all wish we could be that person and just like be rocking out, have a good time. At least that's how I feel when I see other people on the internet. So I don't think like, oh my gosh, look at that loser. (laughs) I mean, it definitely depends for me. Like sometimes I see people and I'm like, I wouldn't want to look like that in public for sure, but good for you. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm never judging anyone. Yeah. But I'm, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go so far as to be like, I wish that was me. I'm not like, you know, I wish I was dancing in the middle of the street, but I very much have the energy of like, good for you. You go girl or guy love that for you. 
see, even if they look crazy, I think like, I wish that could be me. Like, I wish I was dancing down the sidewalks and people thought, is she mentally insane? Okay. Well, you know, to each their own. <laughs> Cause I'm just like, you have to be in such a good place to just be like, I don't care. Like, I don't care what other people think. I'm having a good time. I'm living my best life. Y'all do you, but I'm gonna do me. I'm gonna Michael Jackson it down the street. <laughs> I mean, I haven't reached that level yet. I'm still just jamming out my car, but, um, one day, one day. Um, so yeah, there's also some theories, uh, floating around on TikTok. I mean, they've been floating around since last year, but more and more has like been building up on if there's going to be a third album in the folklore evermore trilogy as people are um hypothesizing because they think if it does happen it's going to be on april 30th i think i can't remember if it's the 29th yeah. or 30th yeah, i think she said 4 30 yeah and if that's the case girl I don't know. I really don't know at this point. Like, I just don't know what to expect with her. I'm like, it could definitely be a no. And I won't be like upset with her if it's a no, but it could be a yes. And if it's a yes, and there's a whole brand new album coming out. One, the timing doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like why she would release the fearless. And then like literally a couple weeks later, release a whole other album. But it is weird that she like, it was the date on the calendar with a post-it. The true Swifties will know. I'm like, girl, I'm going to have to put this on my calendar to have time to listen to all this. Maybe she's just going to announce something on that day or something. You know what I mean? Like maybe that's just significant for some other reason. It's not about to be a whole other album. But I mean, Taylor cannot surprise me anymore I mean I can be surprised by her but like her tactics whatever they are like she knows no boundaries yeah she's she's crazy I'm like she is she's a crazy crazy. one (laughs) and she's been locked inside for over a year now and she's she's had too much time on her hands and I certainly won't be mad if there's another like what if it's my favorite Taylor Swift album yet I don't I mean, it's also good. I don't know what it would be to top everything from before, but. I just feel like that guy in the TikTok that's like, um, this is just really rude because like I have a job, like how am I supposed to fit all of this in? Like I'm just having to what, take a break and go listen in the stairwell. Like what am I supposed to do? I am busy. I don't have time for this right now. It's a lot. It's a lot to keep up with, but again, I'm not mad. So we will see. Um, stay tuned for more Taylor Swift updates. Um, we also started a new series on Netflix. Yeah. So, um, we didn't talk about this before because I think it was on before we ever started the podcast, the first season, but we have jumped back in to, um, the circle on Netflix, which I feel like everyone, kind of watched last year like it was kind of big or blew up or yeah it definitely blew up um I really enjoy it it's it definitely gives me especially more so this season gives me big brother vibes but just social media like I mean I've never watched big brother so I 
can't confirm or deny that. I don't know for sure. I mean, both of them are basically the concept of Big Brother, which I have not watched in years, but it's just like basically voting people in and out and kind of kind of like a popularity game but also really at the end of the day more of a strategy game because you're just trying to win like uh, sometimes you have to make decisions and like send people home that you might like but are they a threat to you in the competition etc etc so it's pretty much the same concept in that regard but it's just all social media based yeah which I know most of our listeners you're like we know we're watching it too um I'm not trying to like I know. The show. <laughs> I want to know who your favorite person is so far. Um, I'm trying to think of who all the people are right now. I think probably Courtney. Yep, I like Courtney. I like him. Um, a- oh, go ahead. I also think uh, I don't know. I'm forgetting his real name, but River the like old guy that like plays him I don't know that he's my favorite or that like we would be best friends but I find him very endearing and the fact that he cries every time time somebody goes home home. it was like this past week it was um I don't want to put a spoiler out there but it was someone that he hated and he still cried when she went home it was like his least favorite person in the house and he cried and yeah. they haven't even met face to face. Like, I think he just has a pure little heart and soul. I think he's being a little bit quirky and weird and playing his character that I don't know that he's going to make it very far. I don't know how believable he'll be. Like, yeah. the longer he lasts, I feel like he's bound to kind of slip up and like show his age maybe through something that he says. Yeah. But I do think he's very endearing. I have like an unpopular opinion, I think, because I don't know how many people will like this character, this person, but I thoroughly enjoy the guy who's being Emily. Oh, I have like mixed feelings on him. Sometimes I am enjoying him and other times I'm like, he's kind of annoying. He is, but I think I like him because he just brings something to the screen. You know what I'm saying? Like the fact that he's very much on top of like, girl gang vibes hashtag bestie he's he's been very good at playing the character i'm like he is killing this and um yeah i feel like he's like getting a little too popular though that people don't like him anymore he's gonna start to be but i feel like he's, he's playing the game well though so i think that's why i like him i think at the end of the day i mean we'll see how this season plays out but last season i'm forgetting his name the guy that won in the end or no 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 it was joey that won i remember his name but it was like the nerdier guy that was like super sweet that everyone just yeah i think he had like a unique name and so i don't want to like butcher it or make up something that's not true um but they both were definitely like the sweetest like guys in the house and we're just like really like genuine with people but we're also kind of weird or like they like showed and they were the, themselves. They were yeah. like themselves too. And so when I see all these people like playing strategy or trying to like suck up to people or like not show their flaws or be fake or whatever, that's when I'm like, um, I don't think this is going to work for you in the end. Cause people are going to 
I don't know. I don't know. It'll be interesting. Like I haven't, there's not someone in the house right now that I'm like, oh, that person has a really good shot at winning because they're just like really likable. I, um, don't know how I feel. Well, I know how I feel. I think it is so not smart, which I'm sure production is just doing this for production value that Lance Bass's assistant is playing Lance Bass. I'm like, that's such a bold move. I'm like, I'm sure she came in and they were like, yeah, this is a great idea. Let's do this. And she was like, okay, like, sure. I'll play Lance. No, it's gonna, it is going to crumble quickly. I don't understand how, I don't understand why anyone would even want to be a celebrity. Like you're going to put a target on your back immediately. Yeah. It's one thing if you're actually a celebrity and you come on and you are a celebrity and you're going to be yourself. Like, yeah. Not that the too hot to handle girl is like a major celebrity, but she's like, she's been on a TV show before, but she's being herself. So that's one thing, but to be that big of a superstar and to just be like completely faking it, I don't know how you're going to survive. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know she knows, I mean, she seems like a very sweet, great lady Yeah, like shout out Lance Bass, but I feel like I would like her better though if she was being herself. Yeah. So many of the people that are other people, I'm like, I just think, well, I'll say this. I, the guy that's playing Emily, um, he has a TikTok and I've seen some of his TikToks and he talks about how he was originally going to play himself, but the producers wanted him to be a girl. So again, not shocking. We know these types of things happen on reality TV, but I think people are definitely like swayed into whether or not they should play themselves. Cause I'm like, yeah, it would be so much easier to be yourself and be authentic than to try to be somebody else and play strategy at the t- same time. You know what I mean? Cause you're thinking like, what would this person say or do, but also what's the smart thing to say or do? I don't know. It's just, it's a lot. I don't think she's going to last long. I forget what her answer was, but someone obviously asked like, why are you on here trying to win a hundred thousand dollars? They were like, are you going to give it to charity? (laughs) Yeah. I forget what she said. I'm blanking, but I don't, it wasn't charity. She said, I'm going to put it towards a tour or something like that. Yeah. A tour. I was like, girl, this is the one question you should have been prepared for the number one question immediately. Like if you're a celebrity, yeah, people are going to like you from a popularity standpoint, but this is a strategy game and you're here to win money. And these are all regular people. They're going to be like, who the heck are you to come in as a celebrity with all this money? Like I need a hundred thousand dollars. Like Lance Bass has fallen on rough times (laughs) and he's got to compete on the circle. And so, yeah, like the most obvious answer is like, oh, I have this charity I work with. Like, I'm sure Lance Bass does have a charity he works with. Most celebrities do. And that is, that should have been her answer. Like, I'm going to donate the full amount. I'm fighting for the kids or for whatever the charity would be. I was like, girl, a tour? Ain't nobody gonna feel bad for you. No. (laughs) During... During a panini press, a tour, I think not. No. Yeah. They're like, what? Yeah. So that was like majorly off. So I think she'll be going home soon, but we'll see. Um, so tune into that. Um, and I don't think we have too much to commentate on this last little bit of pop culture, but just to acknowledge it, since we do talk about a 
lot of Bachelor Nation things. Um, Colton Underwood obviously had his GMA interview this past week and um, came out as gay. And so there's kind of been a little bit of a mixed reaction out there on the internet. Um, I think I think everyone is supportive of him in living out his truth and being true to himself and all of that. And I would say that's our sentiment as well. Like obviously good for him and we support him in that. Um, but it's a little bit more complex given the history with Cassie and the stalking restraining order situation and just some stuff from the past. I've never been like super invested into Colton to begin with. Like he's just not been one of the people from bachelor nation I've like followed on social media or even Cassie. So I haven't been super tuned in for the past couple years, aside from watching his season. Um, but you know, we still generally know the, the past and the history. And like, I can imagine this is difficult time for her. So it's just not a black and white scenario. And I don't know what your thoughts are, but the part that I'm like, it just doesn't sit the best with me is this whole like Netflix deal. It seems like every, every change in his life has been like capitalized on monetarily. And I get that that's kind of what all influencers do. And like, if it's truly your story and your truth, then I guess there's nothing wrong with it, but I don't know something of like, Oh yeah, I'm gay. And now I'm going to like have the show on Netflix and go watch that and commodifying the experience. Yeah, definitely. I, um, I didn't want to cut you off because you had a lot to say there about it, but I definitely, the main thing that I wanted to touch on was the Netflix thing. Um, because I, I don't think anyone is upset at the fact that he came out, like he came no. out, congratulations are in order for sure, but there's not really much to speak on. Like it, that isn't the controversy. Like that's not what has people like, yeah. Questioning him. The, the main thing is just like the fact that he's coming off a little bit as like chasing a dollar or chasing clout or fame or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And it just doesn't feel very like authentic or genuine. And I'm, and not I'm, that he's not gay. Like no one's questioning. No, oh, he's saying he's gay for this Netflix show. It's just like, it feels rushed of like, I'm gay. And also I have a Netflix show like, but I also yeah. discovered this in the last six months. Well, I mean, he says he's known for a long time, but like really came to terms with it in the past six months. It feels very rushed. And like, how can I make a dollar off of this? Yeah. And I think it's just hard. It's a hard pill. Look, I can't speak. It's a hard pill to swallow. I could imagine for the like queer community to accept this man who has already had success mm -hmm. already had a lot of like internet and tv like exposure and then all of a sudden just be like and now I'm gonna have this entire show on Netflix about my experience and my coming out journey and it's like okay I just can't imagine like the queer community being like not that they're not supportive, but just being like, okay, now he's going to just represent 
us yeah. in some kind of way. Like it just seems like you said a little rushed and like maybe he should slow his roll a little bit. Yeah, probably for his own like mental well-being and stuff as well too. Like I know, you know, when the breakup with Cassie and all of that stuff happened in the show, he put out that book and there were a lot of details and stuff in there. And I just think it's been a lot like back to back to back in Colton's life. And it would probably be better for his own well-being to just kind of like focus on living this new life and this new truth for himself instead of doing this Netflix show. But, and I'm sure it's hard for someone like Cassie to see someone that, you know, you were in a, you know, toxic relationship with that you had to get a restraining order against that someone that was, you know, doing all of these things to you and put you through this really bad experience. And then all of a sudden they come out as gay, which is already something that I would imagine would be challenging to just kind of like grapple with, Mm -hmm. um, being like a past partner or whatever. And then on top of that, everyone's like praising him and, oh yeah, I've got this new show and like success and money. And, you know, that just has to be a difficult thing for, for her. And like you said, other people in the queer community that might be like, you don't really understand all of the struggles or all of the things that the entire community has gone through. Because I mean, Colton's also white. Colton also has for the most part been straight passing for most of his life was like a football player, Christian, you know, all of that stuff that like he had privilege in a lot of other ways, even Mm -hmm. if he did have, you know, um, negative experiences with being a gay man. And so I'm sure for people in the queer community that aren't in that situation that have, you know, multiple compounding disadvantages, um, in their court can be like, okay, of course this guy's going to be the face of whatever and get a Netflix deal and everyone's going to support him immediately. And he gets a good morning America story and all of that. So yeah, I mean, it's complex. We're happy for him. Um, but we will see what comes. I know there's been, like we've said, talks on the internet of other people kind of upset with this Netflix deal. I think there's even been like petitions of like people like signing to get Netflix to remove the show. Um, I'm honestly not even sure what the show, I know it's supposed to be about him, but like what exactly it is. Cause again, I'm not like a huge Colton follower to begin with, but it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Yeah. I'll mention one thing, like I listened recently to Nick Bial's um, podcast with, um, oh, I can't think of his name. Is his name like Dave or something maybe? I can't think of his name, but he's like um, part of The Bachelor world. I'm not sure if he's like a producer of some sort or maybe used to be. Uh, I'm really sorry that I don't have my facts um, in front of me, but it was a really good episode that they um, just put out recently talking about this. And um, his guest um, is a gay man. And so he was kind of talking about his thoughts about it and get, um, and Nick was talking about, you know, how he knows Colton and just kind of like his thoughts about the whole thing. Um, 
And I think if the show, again, we don't know anything really about the show or what it's going to be about, but if the show is truly a behind the scenes look of like how he came to terms with this and like discussions with his family, discussions with his friends, discussion with maybe past teammates or like something like that, that might be interesting to watch. But if it's just like Colton, like saying, oh my gosh, I'm a gay man now. Like I get to go to a gay bar, like let's go for the first time. I'm not sure that that would really go over well. So um, it was just interesting to listen to to those men on that podcast talk about it. So um, I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. So um, check that out. There's definitely more commentary out there in Bachelor Nation on this topic, but we just wanted to briefly hit on it um, before we dive into our book club. So let's take a quick little break and then we will get into it. All right, so let's dive in to our official first installment of this book club series that we're starting. Um, For those of you who are living under a rock, our new book that we're reading is How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk, The Foolproof Way to Follow Your Heart Without Losing Your Mind. And this is by the author John Van Epp, he has a PhD. Um, and so far, we're just going to tackle the first four chapters. Um, this book, um, both Mackenzie and I, I believe, are listening to the audiobook version. It's a little bit more manageable to um, swallow, I guess, that way. But if you are reading the hard copy, um, please do follow along. Um, there's a lot to get through. We're going to give you like the shortened uh, version of a recap that we can think of, but here we go. Um, I would say the first chapter is very just much introductory. Mm -hmm. So with your permission, maybe we just go on into chapter two content. What do you think? Yeah. Chapter one really just introduces the book and introduces the idea that a lot of people kind of see, love or relationships, I guess, in one of two ways, either that you just, your person is your person and you fall head over heels in love with them and you go with emotion and your gut. And I don't know, kind of all of that, or like, you'd need to be super logical and check off a checklist and be, and not have like a spark there, so to speak. Um, and the book just advocates that there can be a middle ground between the two, which is good for me to hear because I'm definitely that middle ground person. Like I can be that daydreamer, like me and Nick Jonas are soulmates girl, but I'm also like, okay, logically X, Y, and Z need to line up for me to be like interested in someone or willing to see them again, et cetera, et cetera. Like I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm half and half. I, I'm definitely more of the daydream type of gal. Um, I sometimes, which we'll talk about later because they do mention it. And I felt very much called out by it of sticking with someone too long, just because of like, 
I was like, mm, this reminds me of somebody <laughs> just because of the daydream <laughs> that you get stuck in that you're like, everything's going so well. And then when you get down to it, you're like, I don't really know this person all that well, to be honest. Um, yeah. Which I sure think it's because you're, you're in- yeah, <laughs> I think it's because you're a nice person. Like, I don't think it's a bad thing, but yeah, when I read that part, which we'll get into, I was like, this is definitely Sierra of like, <laughs> oh yeah, I've like been dating this person for like six months. And I'm like, who are they? Do you know like, them? Why? Like, are you <laughs> like, are you exclusive? Whatever. And you're like, no, we, we just like hang out. I'm like, what? And like, for me, I'm like, that does not line up. Absolutely not. Like after one day, two day, like if you're not checking certain boxes or certain things, I'm like, mm, this is the end of the road for you. <laughs> this is, you leave the island now. But you're like, <laughs> you, because you're nice, you're like, well, nothing's wrong here. So like, let's just see, let's explore, let's whatever. And there's pros to that as well. Like you can be too closed off at times or like my mentality, I guess, can be. So yeah, but that's um, a little bit jumping ahead of ourselves. <laughs> yeah. So chapter two kind of starts off with just like defining what makes a person a jerk, mm-hmm. which I just think is funny because I feel like I've never called anyone a jerk before. <laughs> it's so a nicer like- term for maybe some of the other terms of endearment we may use for. Yeah, exactly. Men. So maybe we'll just go down the little list here that the book provided for us. So like what makes someone a jerk? Um, some of the things that um, the author mentions is um, ongoing behavior and unwillingness to change, um, breaking boundaries. Um, for example, people who invade your space, people who are players, um, the inability to see others' views and perspectives. So very much just like one track mind. Um, and then the lack of emotional control. So for example, again, like people who are just kind of immature, emotionally like flat, um, not not a lot of depth there. Um, all of these things kind of, in the author's opinion, makes them a jerk. Yeah. And something important to know that the book notes is that I feel like people commonly um, think of jerks as guys, which let that speak for itself. Um, but <laughs> you're like, not our words. <laughs> um, but the book does say like, it, you could be a jerk or a jerkette. So these, um, behaviors can be in either gender and the book is not trying to just call them in. Um, it might sound like that because we're female, um, commentating from our side of things or perspective, but yeah, I thought all of those were like pretty spot on for like, yeah, those are like pretty good qualities of like, "Mm, this isn't the greatest person. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, this could be anyone. Um, could, any one person could have one or all of these qualities. Um, yeah, which so. they they note that like this doesn't mean like one person like to be a true jerk is not like you do one of these things one time. Like we all have faults. We can all be kind of the worst sometimes. But someone that's consistently displaying these types of behaviors is like okay red flag, red flag. Exactly. Red flags all around. Um, and then I don't know if we want to maybe skip around, but another major theme was this whole idea of the Ram. Um, 
which they call the relationship attachment model. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically like it's this whole idea of like the RAM is just like the term for how you connect with people, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, In like most simplest term. Yeah. Or like how you attach to or get attached in relationships. I will say a very complimentary reading to this. I don't know that I, I think I did bring it up on the podcast before. I know I brought it up a million times in my life because I think it's a very good book is the book attached, which is on attachment styles. And I think that is chef's kiss, high quality read. Um, so very complimentary to this book and this concept, but he basically explains it like an audio board, like where you've got the different dials that you can tune up and down. And there's five different relationship connections and ways that you can become attached to someone. And essentially they're in the order, um, of which level you should amplify each one. So like number one is the one that you should start with. Number five should be the last one. And you want them to all be in balance with each other in time. Um, so it's not all out of whack. If like one's really high, the others are really low, then that's probably a red flag. So the first is the extent to which you know someone. Second, extent to which you trust someone. Third is the extent to which you rely on someone. Four is the range of commitment that you have established. And the fifth is the degree of sexual touch or chemistry. Um, and I agree with all of these. I mean, it makes logical sense. I know that there's definitely people out there that, um, don't subscribe to, or to them, this might sound a little bit like purity culture based, which, um, the author of this book is a pastor and teaches this model, you know, in churches, but also other places. And so totally recognize that different people have different opinions and not judging anyone for those different opinions. But to me and my experiences, it makes sense. I'm like, when number five comes way before number one, two, three, four, it ain't like, it, it don't work out. <laughs> it, it just is not the move. And of course, that's not to say that there's some situations out there that it has worked that way, or, you know, there's exceptions to this model, but in my experience, this does seem like the most logical flow. Yes. I think a big point to take home is just that it's hard to work backwards. Like, yeah it's hard to maybe like start with number five all the way up at the top of the leaderboard and then go four, three, two, one and get to know someone like not saying it's impossible. There are definitely people who do it, but it would be much harder to find actual love and success in a relationship. If you were to go against the, the number system, um, that makes sense. Again, we are not condemning. Um, Sierra and I definitely haven't always followed the number system. Um, Exactly. I'm not saying I have mastered it. (laughs) Clearly, if we had mastered the number system, um, 
we would not, we would not be here right now reading this book, mm-hmm. but and it's also not even like a don't have sex kind of message. Like it could be any of the ones like out of order. Like one that really stood out to me is like the extent to which you rely on someone. I'm like, to me, that's such a huge thing. And maybe that's because I'm like a very independent person, but the thought of like interlacing my life with someone else's or having to depend on them before having these other degrees of things in place and like really knowing them and trusting them is terrifying. I'm like, absolutely not. But I've seen it happen in other relationships before of like two people just become so entangled with each other and rely on each other for whatever it may be. And then, then you're almost like in it for the, that commitment of like, whatever they're giving you, like almost transactionally, not yeah. for the relationship itself. Yeah. I have to say too. And again, I'm not saying that this is the most perfect model. I didn't write the book, but it seems pretty interesting too, that like commitment is number four, because mm-hmm. sometimes commitment is like, number one, like if you're not committed to me, I don't want to get to know you, trust you, rely on you, but that's not even high up on the list. So I thought that was a little bit interesting too. It's like, no, no, just to know all these things first. Yeah. And not just be like, I'm ready to dive headfirst in. Um, yeah, I think that can be, I think that's where it differs in a lot of way from maybe not formal teachings, but common narratives in the Christian church, um, of like, we, we all, well, if you grew up in any type of Christian environment, have known those people that they're going to church, they're looking for their husband, their wife, and they're going to meet them immediately. And they're going to, um, as many people say, intentionally date them and court them. And we're going to get engaged and we're going to get married. And like, that is their mindset from the get-go, which there's nothing wrong with knowing what you want or like long-term knowing I want to get married or whatever. But I think some people do come in with like that commitment piece first and Mm -hmm. not really like vetting each other first. And like, do I even like you? Like, is this even a compatible situation? Mm -hmm. Not just, are we willing to commit to each other? Yeah, exactly. I just thought that one was interesting because you hear that a lot, like growing up, like make sure you find someone, like you want to find someone who's committed to you that will be your one and only forever and ever. It's like, okay, but even if you just find that person who's going to be committed to you, do you also have all these other things that check off your list? Like, yeah. So, yeah, I definitely appreciate that piece because I am all about the vetting. Yes. And I will just mention too, another little thing that they, um, I don't know why I said they, that the author touches on is that this whole idea that like our brains like chemically cannot like function properly. (laughs) Like if we're out of balance, like if we got too much of one of these things, like the love chemicals, so to speak, like going on in our brains and we actually can't make sound decisions and like think critically. And it's just like our judgment is severely impaired when we just overlook Too many these things. things. Yeah. Can't put, what's the saying that the, the wagon in front of the horse? Heck if I know. <laughs> well, I, I made it one. 
don't put <laughs> don't put your horses or don't put your wagons in front of your horses. Um, okay. So diving in to the third chapter, which I thought was um, interesting, they talk. They start out by talking about how um, the best time to review and alter the effects of your childhood is right after the time of gaining independence and like any, basically any work that you feel like you need to do on yourself needs to happen like before a relationship, because if you have like unmet needs, so to speak, or trauma or whatever it is, and like, it's undealt with, it's going to bleed into the relationships. Um, and then it can almost be like, you don't recognize it as your own problem, so to speak is like harsh as that sounds like, and then you're just like, well, this is an us problem. This is a relationship problem. When really it's like something deep rooted in you that like, wasn't healed or dealt with, um, beforehand. And I just thought like, wow, that's like, it's tough, but it's true. Like, I think that's definitely the case. And especially I'll say just from an outside perspective of our parents' generation, just in general, broadly speaking, I think like therapy was not really a thing for our parents' generation. Like, I mean, for some, yes. And definitely some of them now, like current day, but back in the day, it was not a thing. And I can see how a lot of like marriages of our parents' generation, whether that's like friends, you know, our own parents, et cetera, et cetera, (laughs) the whole generation of like, "Hmm, it seems like some of these things here were just always floating under the surface and were never like personally dealt with because that wasn't like the culture of what they grew up in of like, Hey, you need to sort your own stuff out before jumping into a relationship. And I think the kind of good part of our generation is that it is so much more normal to like work on yourself and go to therapy or to do some like self-reflection and introspection and all that stuff before getting into a relationship. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, that was very well said. I, um, I think as I, again, I was listening rather than actually reading along, but um, as I was listening to this chapter in particular, it really did kind of resonate with me that, you know, you can't deal with these things when you're younger. Um, and it makes more sense that when you are thrust into the world of adulthood and you're on your own and you're not dependent upon, uh, your parents or your family or whoever, like that is the time when you should be figuring things out. And, you know, I'm thankful in a way, not that I and I don't want this to sound bitter in any kind of way, but that I didn't get married young and that I didn't like just stay, stay in a relationship that I was in when I was 17 years old. It's like, I, you know, for sure didn't have things figured out because I, I don't have them figured out now. I'm still figuring them out. And so if I was trying to figure them out now and still trying to be committed in a relationship, it would probably be doomed to fail. Yeah. It's a lot. And like, 
zero hate. Like we're not trying to put down people that did get married young or, you know, have been in a relationship for a long time. But I also think the same thing all the time, all the time before even reading this book, I'm like, thank God I did not get married young or just like get stuck in a relationship or even have like kids young. And again, different strokes for different folks. So like, I know there's other people out there and that's like totally their life path. And that's great. But for me, I just think like, I am so incredibly grateful for this time that I've had of being single, of completely doing my own thing, like making my own decisions, also being able to like figure out who I am in the world, regardless of somebody else, um, and make my own decisions and just, just all of the things. And I feel like that is going to put me in a much healthier place going into a relationship. And I hope that whoever I do, if end up with has also had that same opportunity because I just think it's really special. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of my thinking. Exactly. It's like, there seems to be a need and a, a for good reason this time of like um just prolonged singleness if you want to call it that it's like yeah I'm I've dated people I've gone on dates but I've been mostly on my own for some time now and I've learned a lot um through those experiences and um I think again if I were to be in some kind of a committed relationship from the past that, um, you know, it just wouldn't have been the same had I started a relationship Mm -hmm. even now or going forward in the future, it would not be in the same place. So basically I'm in a much better place. (laughs) Basically. And something that I found interesting in this chapter was they talked about how people can be imbalanced in opposite ways. Um, And so like, if like the whole opposites attract dynamic that a lot of people talk about, and it's not necessarily a bad thing if you're complimentary in personalities, but what a lot of people do is they are so extreme in whatever that personality trait is or personality type is that they almost like seek out a partner that is so opposite from them as like almost a coping mechanism to be able to ignore their own problem versus fix it. So instead of like doing the work on yourself to be like, Hey, maybe I'm a little too extreme in this regard. Maybe I can reel it back in a little bit. It's like, well, let me just find someone else who's totally opposite and we can balance each other out. But when you're at that extreme polar opposites and not just complimentary, like the book says, that can just lead to a whole world of toxic craziness when you've got the, the ship swinging one way left and right. Yeah. I thought that was interesting too. And then another point that hit home for me specifically, I don't want to say that like I've been in so many bad relationships because that's not really, that's definitely not the case. I mean, I've had my fair share of relationships that, I mean, they didn't work out for, you know, very mutual reasons, but, um, one of the topics of this chapter is, um, kind of like getting bored with good people. It's like, why is it that you are with good people and you have a good time, 
but it just doesn't work out for some reason. And it's very much this unconscious desire to kind of quote unquote, change the outcome or change the ending. And it talks about how it's like this phenomenon, how um, if we've had unhealthy relationships in our past, then in our subconscious mind or in our head, we try to somehow reroute the course and be like, well, I don't want this to be how it was last time. So let's just skirt, skirt and try something a little different. But really like you are just like not coming to terms with the way that that previous one ended, or like maybe you're hung up on the way that that uh, previous relationship, like um, just didn't fulfill you in whatever capacity. Yeah. Um, You're basically trying to seek out the ending that you didn't get before. Correct. Um, And I just thought that really made me think about some things. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I was like, uh Oh, Uh -oh. Oh. let me think about that one for a little bit I had to like actually pause it after I heard that I was like hmm wait a minute yeah um it says the past craves closure and wants you to meet unmet needs in the present and so I think maybe for you maybe for me maybe for a lot of people out there a lot of females especially is they end up with someone that's emotionally unavailable in some type of way, or the, the relationship doesn't work out. That guy doesn't want to be with you, whatever it is, but it's like this great guy. You're like really attracted to them or there's something just charming or magical about them. You think, you know, you just think there's something there, but there's some piece that's missing. And so you go chasing after it. And the next thing of with the next emotionally unavailable guy of like, I can change this one. I can rewrite the ending. I'm going to win this one over when really you're just trying to like almost, I don't want to say get revenge. What's the word I'm looking for? But, um, reclaim that victory, reclaim the narrative that played out before. Yeah. Which I just don't think I've ever thought of myself as a person who does that, but I'm like, I'm not sure I've done that for sure. Like for sure. I've been with someone, it didn't work out. I was like, I don't know why this didn't work out. Like I, I felt like everything was great. Everything was perfect in my mind. And then when the next person comes along again, I'm like, everything's perfect. Everything is great. It's going to continue to be this way forever and ever. And then it's like, Oh, wait a minute. I'm just chasing this idea of perfect that I had also with this other person and it didn't work out. And And it's not even, I'm a little salty about that one that I'm like, this one's got to be the one. Yeah. Like it has to be because this person's nothing like that person. Yeah. And it's like, mm, are they though? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, not, no, there's a, there's a pattern here. <laughs> yeah. So, um, kind of piggybacking off of that and diving into chapter four to wrap things up. Um, it talks about how, you know, you really need to know the person and not overlook like red flags, because sometimes we 
we'll see like a few ideal things. Like they're really nice on the first date or they, you know, whatever it is, like they save a baby bird and you're like, oh my gosh, he's the best guy ever. This is amazing. Like he's so caring. I'm in love with him. And then you start planning the wedding in your head and it's like, oh, hold up sister, girlfriend. Like it's been a week. You don't know everything about this guy. And then like, you, you just like latch on to those one or two like positive qualities from the beginning and let them be the excuse for all of the like red flags, so to speak, that you see like later down the road. And so chapter four talks about how it's just really important to actually know someone, um, but also to have a balance between what you know from talking to somebody and your experience of like observing their actions or them like interacting with other people. So like, for example, they talk about, um, like there's this concept of like togetherness and that's like, obviously more of like the observed actions and experience and some relationships can be like too much of the togetherness. So like, if you're always busy, like doing activities when you're together, um, hanging out in groups, going to parties, like that type of thing, then, but like never sharing anything like deep or talking much, then you might be out of whack on like too much togetherness, not enough of the talking, but then also if you're just only talking and you don't do enough of the togetherness of like seeing them interact with different groups of people, um, and do different things, then you might miss out on some cues there. And it's just like important to know both. Yeah. That one kind of sat with me because at least in my recent dating life, um, not being able to do a lot of togetherness things out there in the world, I feel like I have kind of been more of, I don't want to say I'm an oversharer, but I am more of like the talkative like I want to get to know you like let's hang out and spend hours talking um like that's very much my style and that's how I get to know someone is just like spending time with someone and hanging out and it doesn't have to always just be like deep but I just I like to spend a lot of time with someone but again if you don't spend time also doing things out in the world like you said, um, you will maybe miss out on interactions with other people or how they, um, mm-hmm. treat their friends and their family and whatever. So yeah. that's like a major piece. And I do feel like sometimes, at least in my personal life, I think I miss out on that. And because I spend a lot of time doing the other stuff. Yeah. Which I think is kind of normal in the beginning to be like more talking versus like being in groups or like meeting friends or family or all of that. But yeah, it is like, for me, it's huge how someone interacts with other people because I just like, you know, if I were to date you, if I were to marry you, God forbid, um, (laughs) then like, I need to know you're not going to be acting a fool when we are out in public or doing things. And I'm going to be like, he's getting on my nerves right now. Like, (laughs) like being, I mean, I know, I don't, no one would disagree with this statement, but I don't know. It's something I like pay a lot of attention to. Like if I'm on a date and 
like how they treat like the waiter or the bartender or whatever it is, not even like being rude. Like I've never had someone be like super rude or anything like that, but people that are just like more personable and are like, I don't know, like, Hey man, or like, Oh, thank you so much. Like, that's great. I don't know. Just people that like have an energy that they can get along with other people that they are positive, energetic when they interact with other people. I don't need like you to like jump out of a cannon every day and be like (laughs) so jazzed, but I don't know. Just people that are like very flat, like even if they're nice, they're just like, thanks. When like someone brings something to the table or like, I'll get this. Thanks. Like, like what the book says is how people interact with other people can be so much more predictive and accurate of like how they will behave long-term and someone that's, you know, just kind of like stone cold or just doesn't have that warm, positive energy when they're interacting with other people that aren't me, even if you're like super positive, warm with me, I think like, "Mm, that's indicative of maybe something underneath the surface. Are you going to be that way? with me down the road. Yeah. Well, because that's like their knee jerk reaction to the outside. So it's like when someone just comes up and says like, you know, Oh, here's a glass of water for you. And you're just like, say nothing. Or if you're just like, thanks. Yeah. Like that is just them not even thinking about their reaction. Whereas if, Oh, here you dropped this. They're going to say, they're going to put way more effort into it because again, it is the beginning and they're like trying to be on their best behavior. They're going to say, Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Um, you know, whereas to, again, to just some random person, they give what they would do if they weren't really thinking about it. So yeah, like you said, later on down the line, it's going to be just like a flat, like, cool, whatever. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like I'm overly reading in and like taking notes on how <laughs> guys respond to waiters on dates, but it's just something I try to like notice and pick up on and, you know, just make note in the back of my mind of like, again, it, it probably stands out more when I see someone who is like super positive, like they're really kind, really energetic can connect with people like that stands out more. I'm not like, Oh, his thanks had a little bit of attitude in there. I didn't like that. tone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, cause like I said, I haven't had anyone like super rude before, but it's something that I pick up on. And I think it's definitely true. Like how, how the person you're with treats other people, whether that be their family, their friends, random people at restaurants is eventually how they will treat you. Yeah. And I think uh, I might've passed it somewhere in the notes. Sorry, I can't find it. But uh, something that basically said like your dating life is going to be like the honeymoon phase. Like this is as good as it's going to get is when you're, when you're dating throughout the course of like your entire span of your relationship. It's like, this should be the best of times. Yeah. So that is really telling not to say that it it's you know downhill from here like this is as good as it's gonna get but kind of sort of like this should be the best of the best 
Yeah. I mean, that's something that I have always, I enjoy this book so far because I feel like it's validating me for, um, just being, uh, single for so long, but also like, I think a lot of people, whether they say it or not in my life think, Oh, Mackenzie's picky because I can be picky about other things that aren't men or dating. And I think they don't know all of the details of every little interaction. And so they assume like, Oh, well, you must just be picky. And that might be the case, but I'm like, no, like I'm going to vet someone, make sure that we are compatible, make sure that I know them, make sure that I trust them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, before I get into a relationship with someone or, you know, the levels of connection, like we talked about before, because I'm not just trying to have anybody that, you know, like you said, when you're dating, that is pretty much as good as it gets, (laughs) not as good as it gets. (laughs) It sounds cynical, but to me, it makes sense. I like thinking that way because I'm like, yeah, if we're not clicking from the get-go, if I'm not having a good time with you, if your attitude (laughs) is not in the right place, I'm supposed to think that it's going to get better. Like, no, you ask any married couple out there, The second you get married, the second like more commitment, more responsibility comes into the relationship, the more difficult it becomes, the more challenges you have to work through. So if you're not having a good time eating nachos and margaritas together, babes, y'all aren't going to make it. (laughs) And so when people are like, well, just give it another try. Are you sure you're not like shutting down things too soon? I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure. Like I, you know, (laughs) if this is good as it gets, then I don't want it. Um, I'm, I'm good on that. And so I really enjoy the fact that they brought that concept up. Um, but they also state like, it's not overly idealistic to want to fall in love and stay in love over the years, but that just means like, you need to start at a good, healthy place and like have some level of attraction or chemistry with the person that you're with. And then yes, problems will come up, but you can work through them along the way and keep the love alive, so to speak. Um, which is how I like to think about it. Yeah. Um, I am kind of jumping around here, but, um, maybe just to close us out, Um, one of the statements that was, uh, in the book was about, um, just like longevity of relationships and, um, a couple of statements were, uh, couples who date two years or less are more likely to divorce. Same with those who marry before age 22. And then couples who marry after the age of 28 have the highest success rate. And I just got to say, if that doesn't, if that doesn't give me hope in life, then I don't know what does. You're like, exactly. That's exactly why I've been waiting. I knew the facts and this just validates me even further. But yeah, it makes sense. You know, we're on the right path here and I just, no disrespect. I just don't personally envy getting married at a young age because I am so thankful for and see so much value in spending time alone or just figuring things out while you're in your twenties. And I think 
you know, we're on target here after 28. That works for me because I will be uh, 27 this year, which gives me another year. And then also like dating for a decent amount of time. I also agree there. Like, I don't think I would ever be someone to just jump into something and be like, okay, we're getting married like a year later. Oh yeah. Me neither. I for sure take my time. We already know this. I spend a little bit too long with people that I shouldn't. So for sure, before I'm going to marry someone, you best bet I will be like, I need to make for sure, for sure that this is right. So it's going to be a while. You got to stick around for a while before I know for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I'm like, you'll be the person that probably like dates someone for like six years before getting engaged. Like I'm having a good time. Like I, I don't need any thing pushed along well chilling I'm still figuring it out it's six years down the road I'm like mm, still trying to figure out whether or not I know everything about this person <laughs> yeah but um that kind of wraps up our summary of summary and commentary I should say on the first four chapters of the book club so tune in next week we will be covering the next um four chapters so chapter five through nine of the book if you're reading along but of course you can always just listen in to our commentary whether or not you're reading wouldn't it be five and five through eight um sure okay sorry i wasn't trying to be rude i was just like wait a minute Numbers don't always make sense in my head. So that would be correct. Anyways, we'll see y'all next time. Okay, bye. Bye. That's a wrap. Hee <laughs> hee.